Good morning, church. There we go. I'll be reading from Ruth 2. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I, may shall, I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers, and she had happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said, said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have you found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me, excuse me, since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to the people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel into the wine. And she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close to my young men till they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thank you, Sabir. Thank you. Go ahead and be seated, man. We're glad you're here. Glad our teenagers, our high schoolers made it back uh, safely from their retreat. I heard it was a great time. Man, it's awesome to hear you worship and to hear you sing. And uh, just, that's, you know, we come to church, we worship, we sing. We don't do that to fill space till the sermon. We do that because we're commanded to by the Lord. We're declaring God's praise to him and we're singing over each other. And so, man, it's just, it's beautiful. Uh, man, I, God is doing some great stuff in this church. And folks, I think God is about to do something really big. And I don't know what it is, but I, I'm, I'm praying he brings revival uh, into this church that leads to an awakening in this community. And man, I'm just, I'm thankful to be here. I'm thankful that you're here. You know, I love the outdoors, right? I, I love the outdoors. And as a result, I love hunting. I, I love deer blinds and I love, uh, I, I love deer stands and duck blinds and all that kind of stuff. I love it all. The one thing I don't like about it, and I don't like it at all is that you have to get up so early to do it, right? I mean, you have to get up at 4 a.m. Uh, in order to go hunting, or, or you know, and so, I, I mean, I, I don't sleep late, but I, I hate getting up at 4 a.m., right? I mean, man, who, who, who likes getting up? God made that time to sleep, and so I, I hate getting up that early, but I, I do because I like hunting so much. But here's, you know, when you get up at 4 a.m. and you go in the woods and it's dark, right? I mean, you, you, you learn something. You've heard of the old saying, it's darkest before the dawn? It's true. Man, you go out and you get in the woods at 5 a.m. and it's dark, but just before dawn, the darkness goes to a whole nother level. I mean, you can't even see your hand in front of your face, right? And then all of a sudden, dawn appears and bam, there it is, it's light. We know what, that's, that's true, uh, and what we're gonna find out in Ruth today is that's true not only environmentally, but it's also true emotionally. You know, when you're suffering, when you are grieving, when you're hurting, when you're in that deep, dark night of the soul, uh, it, 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 you can't even see the truth in front of your face, right? I, I mean, you're, you're grieving, you're hurting. It's hard to see the truth in front of your face. But here's what I know uh, environmentally and I also know emotionally, it's always darkest just before the dawn, right? And that's what we're gonna learn today in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter one was a dark chapter, it was a really dark chapter. Remember what happened? Let me recap for you if you weren't here so that you know where we are. Uh, Elimelech moved his family from Bethlehem to Moab, right? It seemed like a pretty good decision because Bethlehem was under a famine. There was literally no food in Bethlehem. He had uh, a wife and two boys, and so moving his family to Moab seemed like a logical good idea. Family needs to eat, but it was a horrible idea because it was made from logic and human reason and not from faith and God's word. And so Elimelech and his family moved in and they hadn't hardly got their pictures hung on the wall until Elimelech died. And now his wife, Naomi, is in a, a foreign country uh, that she does not know with only two boys and her husband's dead. Not long before her boys get married, they marry Moabite women named Orpah and Ruth. And so, man, now at least she's got two daughters-in-law. They're married about 10 years and both boys, before Ruth or Orpah could have any children, both boys die. And so now Ruth is left destitute. She has no kids. She has no husband. She has no hope. I mean, her future has been stripped away. Uh, she is angry. She is bitter. Uh, she doesn't know what to do. It's a dark, dark place. All of a sudden, she hears that uh, there's bread back in the house of bread. Bethlehem means house of bread. There's bread back in the house of bread. So she says, I'm going back 
home. And so she takes off and her daughters-in-law are committed to going with her. They're going to follow her and go with her, but she stops and she probably realizes, I won't even be able to take care of myself, let alone feed two more mouths. So she stops and she says, hey ladies, listen, uh, you need to go back into Moab uh, and find a husband. You'll never be able to find a husband in Israel. In Israel, uh, they do not like Moabites because of our history together. We've sort of been Hatfield and McCoy. We've been sort of enemies. Uh, and we, we don't, our, Israel doesn't like, you won't be able to find a husband. You'll be destitute. You'll be an outcast. Uh, you'll be, uh, you know, snickered at. D- don't even come, go back, find a husband. You can find a husband in Moab. Go back and find a husband, live a long, full life, and I'll go back and go on. So Orpah, uh, she decides she's going to go back, take Naomi's advice, but Ruth doubles down her commitment. She doubles down her commitment, and she says, look, don't, don't, don't talk to me about going back. I'm committed to you. Where you go, I go. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you live, I live. When you die, I, where you die, I die. I'll be buried with you. See, she makes the language. The, the language she uses is not just a commitment. It is a covenant. Basically, it's the language of marriage. She says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Sickness and in health, good and the bad. She's making a covenant with Naomi. And so Naomi knows, man, I mean, she's committed here. She's for real. So they go on, they get to Bethlehem. When they arrive in Bethlehem, uh, the ladies in the town are all astir about their arrival. And she says, look, it's Naomi. uh, And Naomi is so bitter. Uh, She's so destitute. She's so hopeless. She says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi meant sweetheart or sweetness. She said, don't call me Naomi. I'm not sweetheart. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. She says, I'm not a sweetheart anymore. I'm a bitter old lady, right? And so chapter one is a dark, dark chapter. Uh, it's a chapter that uh, rings true, and it's a chapter that, that you know, runs around our mind because most of us have been in a dark place before. Some of you are in a dark place now, and if not, you will be tomorrow you know, or in the future. That's life, right? We live in a world broken by sin. So this, this book is so amazing and has so much for us. But even though chapter one's dark, it ends the very last Words of the verse are words of hope. It says that they arrive in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. They arrive at the beginning of the harvest, and these are words of hope. And so here's what we're gonna learn today. I wanna wanna look at, as we dive into this, I wanna look at a few truths about Ruth that I think will greatly speak into our lives. First is Ruth wasn't lazy, okay? Ruth wasn't lazy. Now, after getting settled in their new digs in Bethlehem, uh, Ruth, foreign land, knows no one, right? Everybody's sort of, you know, uh, jeering at her. Everybody's sort of looking at her when she goes out the door. All of a sudden, they get in their new digs, they get settled. She looks through the cabinets and she realizes, man, we don't even have a bag of ramen noodles in in the cabinet, right? I mean, we have nothing. I, I, I've got to get some food here. So she tells her mother-in-law, Naomi, she says, hey, I'm going to go glean in the field of any farmer who will have mercy on me, right? And so let me, let me explain to you what this was. Every generation in every nation has dealt with poverty. The world has been broken by sin, and as the world has been broken by sin, poverty is in the world. It's not the way God created the world. But that's the way the world is because of sin. And so as a result of sin, every generation and every nation throughout all of history has dealt 
with poverty, uh, has seen poverty, has lived in poverty, and, and we know that full well as we see impoverished uh, folks and as we see poverty all around us, right? And so one of the ways that God designed for his people to be taken care of in poverty was through the, the act of gleaning. And, and so what happened was uh, God provided for his people in poverty because he knew that some would be poor, some would go into debt, some would go into slavery. And he's like, how do, how do I provide? So he, he, he provided, and it wasn't sitting back and you know, waiting on a check from the government. It was going to work, to be quite honest. It was working hard. It was called gleaning. And here's what he did. He, 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 Moses, in the law, uh, said that the farmers, when they did their harvesting, that they were to leave in the corners some of their crop and in the sides of the field so that those who were poor, those who were impoverished, those who, who couldn't uh, you know, find food otherwise would come into the field and they would work the field by picking up the scraps. It was subsistence living, basically. It would be like today, if you have nothing, rather than just sitting back, you, you go to work, you go out and you go walk through the, the, the neighborhoods and walk down the highways and you pick up tin cans and you go sell them and take that money and buy food. That, that's what we're talking about here, if you want a modern day example. Uh, it was hard work. It was, it was hot work. It was not a, a, an easy job, and it was a very dangerous job for a woman, especially a young woman who was from out of town, from a different place. No one really uh, knew who she was, where she came from. So it had been very easy for a young woman to be taken advantage of, if, if you can imagine, uh, doing this work. And so this is what Ruth was. Well, what we know from Ruth here is that Ruth, she showed a great example of a great faith and a great work ethic. A great faith and a great work ethic. You see, Ruth fully believed she loved the Lord. She had committed her life to Naomi's God, and we have to hang on to that, and you have to know that, that where this is coming from. She is a believer, and, and, and she didn't make a, just a convenient commitment to the Lord. She didn't make a cultural commitment to the Lord. She went all in with the Lord, and, and so she's got this great faith. She said, uh, Naomi, we, we have no food. I'm going to go out and glean, and I truly believe God's going to lead me to a man, to a farmer who will be merciful to me, a great faith. I'm trusting God to put me in the right place. But at the same time, this great faith, she shows this great work ethic. Uh, you see, faith's not just sitting back on the couch praying, well, I, I hope it happens. It, it, it's praying and then it's getting busy, right? And that's what Ruth did. She went out and she worked hard in the field in a hot, hot sweaty, dirty, back-breaking job. She worked hard. She prayed hard. You know, uh, St. Uh, Augustine, uh, he, he once said that, that, if, that you need to pray like it all depends upon the Lord, because it does, and you need to work as if it all depends upon you. You need to pray as if it all depends upon the Lord, and you need to work as if it all depends upon you. You see, this is a beautiful statement because it brings together these twin doctrines that run through Scripture from page one to the end of the book, these twin doctrines of God's responsibility. God is in total control of everything that happens. His providential uh, uh, running of the world, his sovereignty, nothing happens outside of his will. He's in control. Uh, but there's also this, this doctrine of human responsibility, that we have responsibility in the decisions that we make and in the things that we do. And, 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 and so this is beautiful because we should literally, in every aspect of our life, pray 
as if it all depends upon the Lord because it does and work as if it all depends upon us. This is true in everything. This is true in your marriage. You know, your marriage, uh, marriage is not easy because we live in a broken world. God didn't create it that way, but because of sin, marriage is not easy. And so what do we do? If we want to thrive in our marriage and have a marriage that's life-giving and not life-sucking, then we need to pray, God, bless my marriage. God, would you please help me to be a better husband? Would you please help us to reflect your glory? Would you please, God, give us a better marriage? You better pray for your marriage every day of your life. There shouldn't be a day that you don't pray for your marriage. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not just praying and sitting back and waiting for the check to fall out of the sky or arrive in the mail. It's not naming it and claiming it. That's not what Ruth did. Ruth didn't just name it and claim it and sitting back and wait for a check to show up in the, in the mailbox and say, oh, well, I'm getting a check every month so I don't have to go to work. That's not what she did. She prayed and she went to work. And in your marriage, you got to pray every day and then you got to go to work in your marriage. It takes work. It's the same with raising your kids, right? I mean, man, you pray God Help them to follow you, help them to love you, help me to, to raise them and get them out of the house, not to just to, to, to survive, but thrive, to be good husbands and to be good wives, and help me, God, to do that. You pray for your kids, keep them close to you. You pray, 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 but man, you put in the work. You do this in spiritual growth, right? You pray, God, help me to grow, help me to know you more, help me to know you deeper, help me to have a love for your word, help me to have a love for your gospel, for sharing. You pray, 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 but you just don't sit back and expect God to just drop it in, and it's God who sanctifies you, but then you go to work, man. You have to get up. You have to get into the word. You have to get on your knees. You have to pray every area of your life. Same in your job, right? God, bless me. Help me to be effective in what I do, but man, it just doesn't happen if you just don't show up to work. You got to go to work. This is what Ruth shows us, and it's a great example for our faith. It's a great example for our faith as we pray hard and we work hard. We, we, we trust God with everything, and we get busy, right? And that's what Ruth did. Ruth had this amazing faith in the Lord, but she had this incredible work ethic. And it's important because it's one of the things that's going to impress Boaz. So Ruth wasn't lazy, right? But here's what we also know about Ruth is she wasn't lucky. She wasn't lucky. Now, uh, you say, well, hold on a minute. She's pretty lucky. You know, she, she, we, we know the end of the story. Now, Ruth wasn't lucky at all, right? But let me explain. After, after getting settled in, you know, uh, she wanted to go glean, and here's what happened. Landowners in that day, they owned land uh, a little bit differently than we do today, right? I, my, I grew up, my, my grandfather had a farm in East Tennessee. He had a several acre farm and it was a, a working farm. We had cattle and we had pigs, we had chickens, we had horses and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, uh, he had a several acre farm and then the neighbors had a farm and, you know, but here's, here's how landowners in this day own land. It, it would, they would take a large, let's say it might've been a 100 acre, 200 acre field portion of land and rather than owning, you know, that and then somebody else on the next farm, they would almost checkerboard it off, right? It was sort of like, you know, I mean, the greatest end zones in college football, Nayland Stadium, the checkerboards. What end zone's greater than that, right? But you think about the checkerboard, it was almost like they took a piece of land <coughs> and they checkerboarded it, and each landowner would own a portion, a part of that checkerboard. He would own the square. And then he might not, and then other people would own this square, but he might own this square, and then a square here, and a square here, and a square there. See, he might own several squares on that checkerboard, right? And, and so, so then it was set up with boundaries, with the boundary stones were set up to mark the boundaries of the land. And so Ruth, that, that's why Ruth said, I'm going to go and find a, 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 a farmer who will be merciful to me and allow me to glean 
in his field. Now, verse three says that Ruth just so happened to show up in the section of the field owned by Boaz. She just so happened to show up. And also, we see that Boaz, that day, he probably owned several squares on that checkerboard. He, he, he would go to different squares every day, or he would go to different, different squares. But this day, after Ruth just so happened to show up in his field, he just so happened to show up in that field too, to check on his workers. And he just so happened to look out and see Ruth. Right? I mean, he just so happened. I mean, man, she was lucky, wasn't she, that she went to that field at the exact time at the day that Boaz would show up and that he would just look out and all the women working and notice her. Man, she was lucky, right? Absolutely not. Luck had nothing to do with it. Why? Because let me tell you something, folks. There is zero, no such thing as luck. You're not lucky or unlucky. There's no such thing. Right? Now, now I like to, we like to say uh, you know, man, I'm lucky, right? Or boy, he's lucky. I mean, I, I say it. I say it too. I mean, I look at it, some of you. Matter of fact, I look at some of you right now, and I can say, some of you dudes, you are lucky because that, you should never had a woman you got, right? I mean, we, we talk about luck, but there is no such thing as luck, folks. In reality, there's no such thing as fate. There is a God who is in sovereign control of everything that happens. There's a God who's in sovereign control of everything. I don't know if I told you how I met Amy or not, right? But let me, let me tell you how I met Amy. Uh, I, was, I had just turned 17 years old, and I had not been living for the Lord, to say the least, right? I, I, had, I had been in rebellion against the Lord. I was saved when I was 10 years old, uh, but I, I, and I went through a period of rebellion. I was not living for the Lord at all, and so my church came to Nashville, uh, from East Tennessee to this a youth evangelism conference that that uh, they put on every year, and they still do. And so they came, and it was during that conference, to make a long story short, that God got a hold of my heart and brought me back to him, and it was, it was beautiful. It was amazing. I still remember it. It was awesome. He brought me back to him. I just turned 17. But I, I had literally been in, like I said, in rebellion, and all the people that I was hanging out with were, what, in rebellion, and so, man, you know, I'm going to come home from Nashville off of this spiritual high, and I'm going to go right back into my buddies where I was hanging with, and, and you know, that's not going to work, right? I mean, you know what happens then, and so here's what God did. Man, the youth pastor comes walking back through the bus. We're coming home on the bus. It's dark, and you know where I am. I, 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 you know, I just turned 17, and you know, I'm so quiet and everything, but uh, I, I, actually I was obnoxious and loud, just like I am now. I was on the back of the bus, very back, with all the other obnoxious people, right? Uh, raising a ruckus. And, and so the youth pastor comes back, and he knew that God had gotten a hold of my heart, and he said, hey, Pat, let me ask you something. Tomorrow at church, I mean, we're just talking like, I mean, less than 12 hours at this point, maybe eight, nine hours. Hey, tomorrow at church, can you give a testimony in the morning at worship service about what God's done in your life? And I said, hold on, you want me to speak at church tomorrow during the worship service? And he said, yeah, would you do that? And you know how shy I am, and I thought about it a second. I said, yeah, I'll do it. So, man, I'm sitting back here, and I, I'm, I'm having a good time with my buddies, and I'm thinking, I better, I, man, I really got something to say. I got to say something. I don't know what I'm going to say. I, I got to get away from these guys because they're loud and obnoxious and crazy and having fun. I got to go up where I can think. And so I, I start walking up through the bus, and I'm going to find me a seat that's quiet, 
you know, up where the, 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 the good kids are, up where it's quiet and, you know, up where they're sleeping. And, and I'm gonna go up and I'm gonna sit down and I'm going, I gotta think about what I'm gonna say. So I went up, I made it not even halfway up through the bus and there was an empty seat right on an aisle as, as, as luck would have it. As just so happened to be an empty seat right on an aisle. I'm thinking, what? I sit down in an empty seat and I, I, I'm thinking, man, I'm, I got to start thinking. And I look over and right on this aisle seat was Amy. And I looked at her and, and, and then, I, you know, I, it's like, I, I, to be honest, I, I didn't think about, again, I didn't think about what I was gonna say tomorrow the rest of the trip. It's not what I was thinking about. I was talking to her. And I ended up marrying her. Now, let me, that, was I not lucky that there just happened to be a seat on this aisle when Amy was sitting on this aisle? Was I not just absolutely lucky? Fate, the universe just threw us together. <laughs> right? I mean, I was so lucky. Folks, luck had zero to do with it. There was no luck. There was no fate. Let me tell you what had to do with it. God. God knew you're going to go home. You're going to run around with the same boys you're running around with. You're going to keep doing the same things you're doing. So I'm going to give you an anchor. And it's Amy. And not only is she going to anchor you until you can stand on your own, you are going to marry this woman. God, that was not luck. That was not fate. That was a sovereign God. I don't know if I told you how I got here to, 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 uh, to Life Point, which was First Baptist Smyrna then. Uh, man, I, I, first day of seminary. Amy and I, after we got married, we, we went to move to Fort Worth, Texas to go to seminary. And man, uh, uh, I, I was in line to register at first seminary classes. You know, I st standing in line to register, and some you kids are going, stand in line to register? What, you have to stand in line to register? Couldn't you just do it on a computer? Man, I didn't have no computer. I, I didn't have a computer. I, 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 listen, I didn't have a cell phone. You, you couldn't register online in a computer, you, you kids today. Man, we walked, up, uh, uh, we walked uphill to school both ways in the snow over our head, okay? I mean, uh, uh, we didn't have computers. I, this is what I had. This is what I had to do my papers on. Tink, 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 tink. Tink, 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 tink. Let, 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 me, let me be real. I, I, I never touched a typewriter. Amy did it. Amy did. I, Amy made straight A's in seminary, folks, I'm telling you. And college. And my senior year of high school was all Amy, okay? So you're thinking, why did he just preach that? I don't know, ask Amy. She's the one that went to seminary. I, I just got the grades. So <laughs> we were standing in line. I was standing in line at seminary to register. And I look back, and Kyle likes to joke about my briefcase, you know, that I had. I look back, and I, this guy behind me, and I'm telling you, he's all tucked in and got them khaki shorts on, pants, not shorts, pants on, and he's all tucked in, and he's standing like this, you know, and all the time, I'm like, who is this guy, you know? He's I'm, I'm kidding. We all had to wear khakis because seminary, that's another thing, kids. We had to wear khakis and tuck in, right? Kyle talks about my kingdom kit uh, briefcase. He had them kingdom khakis on, so, uh, but... Man, I, I, we struck up a conversation, and I'm telling you what, man, the Lord put Kyle there. He put me there. Of all these people in line to register, me and Kyle, like this, and we became just best buds through seminary. Kyle goes to Florida to be a youth pastor. I'm still in Texas. Kyle's pastor there. Ken Hubbard was the pastor here. They were buddies. He comes down to do a revival. He said, I need a youth pastor. He looked at Kyle and said, I can't steal you. Bill, his pastor, was my buddy. Uh, he'll kill me. Who, who do you recommend? He said, I recommend. Somebody gave him my name. 29 years later, here I am. I mean, that, 
as luck would have it, I stood in line in front of Kyle going. As luck, fate, man, the universe put Kyle and me together at that time. Yeah, if you're a nut job, the universe did. If you're, listen, that's not what happened. There's no luck. There's no fate. There's God. Now, I could, I could go on. I could go on and on and on and on and on. You could too, right? Because that, that, what we have is we have a God who's, Ruth didn't just happen to do anything, right? It was the plan of God. The writer says, Ruth just so happened. And if you knew the tone of that, it would be like this. Ruth just so happened to go to this field. It just so, he's being sarcastic, right? He's letting us know Ruth didn't just so happen to do anything. This was God moving the pieces on that checkerboard. This was God moving everybody in place just as he wanted. God is working supernaturally, folks, right now in, in your life. As John Piper says, God's doing 10,000 things in your life right now, and you might be aware of only one of them, but he's doing 10,000 things that you are completely unaware of. He is supernaturally involved. He is supernaturally active. He's moving the pieces around. He's involved in every circumstance. He's involved in every heartbreak. He's involved in every meeting. You say, oh, my kids are off the, off the rails. Yeah, God's, in God's involved in that. Oh, my marriage is, God's involved in that. Oh, I lost it. God's involved in everything that happens. God's involved in. He is sovereign. He is faithful and he is involved, Right? And, and, and so then the writer tells us a few important facts about Boaz. He tells us one, Boaz is a worthy man. Now the word worthy carries a lot of meaning to it, right? It basically means he was a valiant man. He, he was a wealthy man who was very generous, not just wealthy, but generous with his wealth. It means that he had a high integrity. He had a high character. Uh, he basically had a high place and high standing, a very important man in Bethlehem. So, so we're starting to learn a little bit about Boaz. And then it says that he was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, what does that mean? Well, the clan of Elimelech, he, he, every individual was a part of a family. A family was a part of a clan. A clan was a part of a tribe. The tribes made Israel, right? And so it's important in, 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 in the economy of, of what's going on. So he is of the clan of Elimelech, meaning he is a distant relative of Naomi, Okay. It's important, so we need to hang on to that. So, so he pulls up, Boaz, he pulls up here, and if, if you will, he pulls up in his black SUV, tinted windows, spinners on the, on the wheels. He pulls up, he gets out of his SUV, and he, the first thing he says to his employee, employees, he's there to check on his work. The first thing he says to his employees is, the Lord be with you, and they say, the Lord bless you. That's probably what's gonna happen when you go to work tomorrow, right? Your boss is gonna say, the Lord be with you. And you're gonna say, the Lord bless you. God bless you, God bless you. Oh, God bless you. You know, that, that, that's what's, no, it's probably not, right? But here's what this tells us about Boaz. Boaz loved the Lord. Boaz honored God, the, God with his work. Boaz wanted to bless his employees and the people around him. This tells us a lot about Boaz, right? Most most farmers, most landowners that day, they didn't even notice their workers. They didn't even look at, they didn't see their workers. If they did see them, look at them, they looked at them with suspicion, disgust, and distrust because they're, they're nowhere near my status, right? That's not what Boaz did. Boaz saw his workers. He wanted to bless his workers because he loved the Lord. And let me ask you this. How do you see people who are on the fringes? 
How do you see people who are different than you, who are not on the same socioeconomic level as you? How do you see immigrants and migrants, aliens? How do you see people who don't talk like you, can't speak your language? How do you see people like that? What we learn from this is how you see people and how you treat people like that says a whole lot about your relationship and your walk with the Lord. Boaz wanted to bless people. No one was beneath him. He wanted to bless those that God had put in his life. And so Boaz, he looks over the fields and as he's looking over the field, he's got all these, these uh, workers, and he's got these females who are gleaning and, 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 and working for him. And he looks over, and he just so happens to notice Ruth. Out of all of them, he notices Ruth. And he said, hey, whose is she? In other words, he said, well, I don't have to bless her, because she's already blessed, if you know what I mean, right? And, and so uh, basically, notice he says, whose is she? He didn't say, who is she? That's what we would say. We'd say, who is that girl? But he said, whose is she? It's an identification with her family, with her clan, which is important. Whose is she? And his foreman said, well, she's not a part of a clan. She's not from around here. She's the Moabite woman that come home with Ruth. And all of a sudden, it clicked with Boaz. Boaz said, oh, hold on. I, I know. I've heard of this woman. I've heard of her. I, I know all of, everybody in town knew about her because, you know, the gossip train and everybody's talking about, hey, Ruth, uh, uh, Naomi, come home. She brought, it's, it's gone all through town. Everybody's been talking about Ruth and Naomi. I've heard about her. I, I've heard about how she literally, she literally left her parents to come with, with her mother-in-law. She left her hometown to come to, to a, a, a country that she didn't even know and no one knew her. She left everything because she was so committed to her mother-in-law and loyalty that, that she was willing to sacrifice her future, a husband, kids. She was willing to sacrifice everything because she was so committed to her mother-in-law. I want to meet this woman. Man, I am impressed with this woman. Not only that, the foreman said, well, I'm telling you, she's been out here working all day long in this hot sun. She's only taken, a, she's only got out of the sun for a small break. Man, she's been busting it. I mean, she has been back breaking, sweating, hard work. Man, Boaz, I got to meet her. He brings her over and he said, hey, hey, I, I have heard all about you. I've heard about your commitment. I've heard about your loyalty. I've heard about what you did for your mother-in-law. I see you out here working hard. Your work ethic is amazing. You obviously, uh, you know, I've heard about at this time, they had probably heard that she was a convert uh, to, 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 to God. You obviously really have this relationship with God because of your loyalty and your covenant commitment that's selfless. Man, you're working hard. I've heard about you. And here's what I want you to do. Man, I hope the Lord repays you because you are absolutely a committed person. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you, until harvest is over, I want you to stay in my field. That would last probably seven, eight weeks. I want you to stay in my field and don't go to another section of this field. You stay in my field, okay? Not only that, you stay with my young ladies because I don't want anybody to assault you. I don't want anybody to come near you. And, and, and you, when my men go to drink, you, you drink with them, and which, was, which was absolutely uh, you know, upside down because the women would draw water for the men to drink. He's saying, well, my men draw water. You go drink with them. And, and I don't want you to be harmed. I want you to be taken care of. Uh, I want you to be protected. As a matter of fact, I've told my men, if they touch you, I've told them not to touch you. So he's went to his men and said, hey, God bless you, brother. You touch her, you die. Right? I mean, I love you. 
Uh, and I, I hope you know God, and if you touch her, you're getting ready to see him face to face. Don't touch her. So Boaz is taking care of her. And then, uh, you know, Ruth here, Ruth has been looking for a merciful man, and she's found her knight in shining armor. I mean, man, it just so happens, right? That Ruth, I mean, she's found her knight in, in, in shining armor, and she couldn't believe his kindness. No one had spoken this kind of words to her since she's arrived. It's refreshing. It's a breath of fresh air, and Ruth realizes. She, she's seeing how he's talking to her. She realizes this guy's genuine. This guy's good. This guy's godly. He doesn't have an agenda. He's not doing all this to try to get something, if you know what I mean. He's doing all this because he genuinely wants to bless me. That's what she notices. And she says, what have I done to earn your, this kind of favor, right? I mean, you're a good man, and, 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 and this is what godly men do. And listen, here's what we can learn just, just, just in, in chapter, chapter two right here. Here's what we can learn. If you're single, if you are a teenager, here, here's, here's what you need to know really quick. Man, you're looking for your spouse when you are, are, are in a dating relationship, especially as you get older and older in high school. You're not dating for fun. That's when you get in trouble. If you're out of high school, listen to me. You don't date for fun. That's when you get into trouble, okay? You date for one reason and one reason only, and that is to find a spouse, and as soon as you know that woman or that man, if you're dating in a dating relationship, as soon as you know, I ain't marrying this guy, ain't no way, then it's over, right? You tell him, you tell her, don't you drag her along, guys. You tell her, it's over, I'm done, right? I love you, I'm sorry, I, I love hanging out with you. We're friends, but it's over. As soon, outside of that, it's fun, right? And as fun is when you get in trouble. And so, so when you're looking for a spouse, Ruth and Boaz are great examples of what you need to be looking for. Number one, they both love the Lord. And they didn't love the Lord on a cultural or on a convenient, um, I'm a Christian uh, basis. They went all in and they loved the Lord. And then it affected how they treated other people and how they saw the world. It affected their work ethic. It affected how they treated people. It affected their character, their integrity. You see, what attracted uh, uh, Ruth to Boaz wasn't his abs, guys, right? It wasn't his abs. What, effect, uh, what attracted uh, Boaz to Ruth, it, it wasn't, I mean, just how, I mean, the shape of her, her curves. It wasn't, you know, her hair. It wasn't how, how nice she looked. It wasn't any of it. The first thing that attracted him was their faith, was their love for the Lord and their character and integrity. Now, I'm gonna tell you, I, I truly believe you should be attracted physically to you know, your spouse, I, you, the, the person you're marrying. I, I understand that. You need to be, have a physical attraction, but understand that whatever you're physically attracted, oh man, I mean, that dude has got some abs. Ladies, well, I promise he might today, but they're not always gonna be abs. That six pack's gonna turn into a keg, right? I mean, He's got Yosemite Sam probably somewhere. Matter of fact, if he's got Yosemite Sam, you probably need to say I'm out, right? But he, he, he's got Yosemite Sam with them six shooters tattooed somewhere. There's gonna be a day when them six shooters that's doing this is gonna be pointing down because they're gonna sag. <laughs> and that's why I'm saying you might need to move on because them six shooters are going da 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 not, not a, guys, man, that, that, those curves, they're gonna, they're, they're gonna get curved. She's gonna have babies. They're gonna get curvier, Right? I mean, what I, my point is this, looks, I think you need to be attracted, but all that fades. 
That's gone. And when that's gone, if that's what it's about, listen, then, then we start having trouble. Character, love the Lord, character, faith, integrity. This is what attracted these two to each other. That is when you, when, when you start looking for a spouse, this is what you look for, right? This is what you look for. So Boaz, after this, he takes her to the cafeteria. Man, he buys her lunch, right? He, he buys her lunch, and, 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 and then he gets a to-go meal. He orders a to-go meal, so she takes it home to Naomi. And, and, and so, I, I mean, man, and then here's what he does. He tells his guys, he says, hey, come here, guys. Not only do you not touch her, here's what I want you to do. She's gonna stay in my field uh, until the harvest is over. And what I want you to do is when you're harvesting my stalks, I want you to look where she's at and drop some stalks in her path so she'll have plenty of grain to glean. Leave some stalks so she'll have plenty of of grain uh, uh, to glean. And, And so at the end of that day, first day, it says that Ruth had an ephah, an ephah of grain. Now, I know we don't measure things in ephahs, so let me tell you, it was about 50 pounds of grain, roughly. 50 pounds of grain. You believe, that's a lot of grain. Now, they don't have ramen noodles in the cabinet. Now, she's taking 50 pounds of grain home. Now, he told her to stay. Think about this. He told her to stay in his field throughout all the harvest. Seven more weeks, probably. And if she does this every day, She's going to have 2,500 to 3,500 pounds of grain, depending on roughly 50 pounds. Unbelievable. She hit the jackpot. She was so lucky. Think about the luck of that moment. Man, she went out and hit that, found that field where, where it just happened to be Boaz's field. He happened to be there that day. He happened to look at her. Well, how lucky. There's no luck in it because luck doesn't exist. Right, luck doesn't exist. Fate doesn't exist. Let me tell you what does. God. God is in sovereign control of everything, folks. Listen, let me tell you something. Oh, what's happened to me over the last four months? If I believed that anything was by chance, if I believed that that was by chance, if I believed that it was just you know some random chance that 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 Amy died, and 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 if I believe that, just a stroke of bad luck. Let me tell you where I wouldn't be this morning, right here on this stage, preaching to you. I wouldn't be sitting in that chair because I wouldn't care if that's what I believed. But that's not what I believe. I believe a God who is in control, and because of God who is in control, what happened four months ago, it, it, it's not meaningless. I don't understand it. It has led me to a dark night of the soul. It's led me to a dark place. It, just like you, some of you, you've been there. You're there now, you're gonna be. But I know it wasn't chance. What I know is God is in sovereign control of everything. And when I can't see it, and sometimes my heart doesn't connect with my head because my head knows the word and my heart, sometimes it's all in, 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 it connects and it's synced up, but sometimes my heart doesn't feel what my head knows. You know what I mean? And when that happens, I, I've, I've just got to go with faith because what I know God's word says, and I believe, I believe that God's in control. And so therefore, if my God is in control of everything, it might be dark today, and it's really dark, but it's always darkest before the dawn. Best is always yet to come for the believer. Always. It's the beauty of our God. The beauty is no matter what you've done, 
You see, this is the truth. The beauty is no matter what you've done in your past that you think is holding you back, you've, you've messed up so bad, you, God is taking that and he's working that for good. He's in control of it. How else can he say, all things, not just some and not just what you do for me, all things, what you do for me, what you do for yourself, your, your flub ups as well as your, 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 your championships, it all works together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's the only way God can say that. He is in sovereign control of every meeting, of every circumstance, of every heartbreak, of every child, of every death, of every life. He determined when you would be born, where you would live, where you live today. He is in control, and it is all bringing about his glory and his plan, and you're good. And you can't see it sometimes. Just like Ruth couldn't see it. Ruth had no clue. We know the end of the story. Ruth had no clue. It was so dark, she couldn't see her hand in front of her face. It was so emotionally dark, she couldn't see the truth in front of her face. I'm destitute, I'm starving. Naomi was starving, destitute, no family, no kids, no hope. She didn't know what was gonna happen. She didn't know that it was really dark, but the sun was about to bust over the horizon. It's always darkest before the dawn. It's always darkest before the dawn. <clears throat> now, one last thing is that Ruth wasn't lazy, Ruth wasn't lucky, and Ruth was not left behind. Ruth was not left behind. God hadn't left Ruth and Naomi behind. It looks like God did. Naomi said God had. God has, I went away full. God has brought me back empty. God has done this. I, I, I mean, God has left me behind. God doesn't know me. God, that, that's, what, that's what happened to her. She was bitter. She was angry. Her future had been stripped away. Her husband died. Her sons died. She had no grandkids. She had nothing. She blamed God. It's dark, but Ruth comes home. You never know what's coming through the door. You never know in what moment, man, the hope is gonna spring eternal. You never know at what moment God's gonna start going, oh, listen, hang on, hang on. Ruth comes through the door with almost 50 pounds of grain and a to-go meal from Longhorn. I mean, here you go. And she's like, what? What, what in the world? Where did you get this? I mean, what, what, how, you, how, you got all this grunt. What in the world? And Ruth starts telling her the story. And all of a sudden, Naomi, who's been bitter and angry and destitute and blaming God, all of a sudden, she begins to realize, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God is in sovereign control. And God is gracious. And God is good. She begins to go, oh, oh, hold on a minute, man. I, I, I've been, I, I, my head's not been connecting with my heart. And all of a sudden, and this will happen to you, your head's not gonna connect with your heart. What you know is not gonna connect with what you feel. And all of a sudden, there's gonna be some things where it just starts coming back together. And that's what's happening with Ruth. Naomi right now, she's going, oh, God is good. God is faithful. Maybe God hasn't forgotten me. And then she says, who, what was his name? His name was Boaz. And Naomi says, oh, praise the Lord. Boaz is one of our redeemers. He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. And what's that? 
Well, I'm gonna get into it next week, so I'm not gonna go into it in detail now, but here's God had set up because of the inheritance in Israel and because of to take care of the widows and that the widows would maintain their status and that the land would stay in the family and that the inheritance would stay in the family. Here's what God did to take care of his people. Uh, God had instituted uh, a kinsman redeemer which basically says that if God's people were to go into slavery or indebtedness uh, or to lose, you know, about to lose their land, that their, uh, their, their closest, the their redeemers, which would be kin in their, in their family and their clan, could buy their, redeem their land for them so that it stays within the clan. Uh, in, in, in some circumstances, that, it would, that, that they would even marry, uh, if a widow uh, now is widowed, that his brother, the, her dead husband's brother, would marry her, or if she didn't have a brother, like Ruth, Ruth's brother, Ruth's brother-in-law also died. Uh, he didn't have another brother, so someone now in the family, it goes down the line, someone in the family could marry her, it's called the Leverite marriage, because to give her, number one, status in uh, the society, to give her a way to, she could make a living because there was no social security, no way of taking care of widows, destitute without a husband or, or, or a son to take care of you, she had neither. So, so, so either her brother or down the line would marry her, and then when, when they conceived and had a child, that child would carry the name of her dead husband, the first child, so all inheritance rights went to that child. Remember that as we go down the line in Ruth, okay? And so Naomi said, praise the Lord. She's beginning to see, hold on a minute, God is at work. Man, I arrived in Bethlehem thinking that there's no way that Ruth will ever find a husband. Remember, she said, you can't find a husband. You go back to Moab where you can find a husband. You're not gonna find a husband in Israel. You're gonna be destitute. Your future is gonna be like stripped away. I mean, you're gonna be jeered at. You're gonna be low, low, low rung on the, you're not even gonna be on the ladder at all. You're gonna be on the dirt. So don't go with me. Now, all of a sudden, God shows her, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's one of our redeemers, and God's beginning to shine hope in her life. All of a sudden, she realizes, maybe God hasn't left us behind. God has not left us behind. But here's the thing. The law didn't apply to those outside of Israel, so when it come down to it, Boaz had a loophole. He had a loophole. He could have gotten out of this thing because he had a loophole, but Boaz wasn't looking for a loophole. He wasn't looking for the least he could do he was looking for how he could be a blessing to God's people. He was looking for the most he could do for God's people. He was committed to Hesed. Hesed is this covenant loyalty, H-E-S-E-D. It's important. It's mentioned 250, over 250 times in the Old Testament alone. And when you see the word steadfast love, when I, looked at, when I read Amy's Bible, steadfast love, she had underlined it all through her Bible. It was so important. She had annotated. She had grown hearts beside of it. It was so important to her. This, what does it mean? Well, this, see, this hesed, this, this hesed is much more than a feeling of love. It, it, it's much more than a feeling. It's an action. It's a feeling that leads to committed action. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's hesed, right? I will do for you no matter what you do for me. That's hesed. It's a, a committed love that of loyalty and faithfulness. That's why we're calling this love and faithfulness. Boaz had this kind of hesed love because he was a strong believer in the Lord. He loved the Lord. He wasn't looking for the least he could do. He was looking for absolutely everything he could do for God's people. And now Ruth, here's the great thing about Ruth. Ruth has believed in Israel's God and now Ruth is getting to taste what it's like to be a part of God's people. She's beginning to taste what it's like to be a part of God's very people and experience hesed from God, but from each other. 
this covenant, this commitment, this loyalty. And, 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 and Boaz's actions toward Ruth are an example for us today of, of God's steadfast, hesed love for us and, 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 and of what our commitment to God should be and our commitment to each other because of God's commitment to us. It's this example. So chapter one ends with hope. You see why chapter one ends with hope? Uh, when it says, and they arrived at the beginning of the barley harvest. All of the darkness in chapter one. But before he ends, oh, but it was the beginning of the barley harvest, letting us know what's coming, there's hope. Chapter two ends with hope too. Chapter two tells this story and then it ends with hope. What's the last few words? The last few words of the chapter say, and Ruth lived with her mother-in-law. Why do you think it says that? Ruth lived with her mother-in-law. Why? Why do you think it says that? Why did she live with her mother-in-law? Who lives with her mother-in-law? Somebody's not married. What do you think is about to happen? Oh, it's dark. They have no food in chapter one. They have no husbands in chapter one. They have no place in society in chapter one. Oh, but they arrived at the beginning of barley harvest. I'm getting ready to feed you abundantly. Your bellies are empty, but they're going to be full. Chapter two tells a story and it ends with, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Oh, you have no husband. I'm getting ready to bless you with an incredible husband who loves the Lord. I've taken care of your hunger physically and I'm getting ready to take care of your hunger for a husband. It's always darkest before the dawn, folks. It's always darkest before the dawn. Philippians 4.19 tells us this. We need to hear this today. Philippians 4.19 says, and my God, my God, not the universe. The universe can't do anything that God doesn't tell it to do. And my God will, not might, not could, will supply every, not some, not sometimes. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How rich is God? Oh, he just owns it all. That's what he has to pull from to supply your needs. And he promises, I will supply all your needs. God hasn't forgotten you. When you're grieving, when you're suffering, when you're hurting, when your kids have gone off the rails, your husband might have walked out the door, you lost your job, you got a bad medical report, your finances are in the tank. God, where are you in this? I don't understand. I've been faithful. I don't understand. I know you felt that way. I felt that way, believe me. Where are you? I don't understand. I've been faithful. I've served you all these years. Do you even see me, God? I know. Here's what I know from Ruth. 
God sees. Here's what my head knows. God knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows where you are. He's not turned his back on you. I don't know why you go through what you go through. I don't. Sometimes there are no answers, but there's faith. I don't know why. But here's what I do know. You might not think God cares, but he does. You might not understand what God's doing or why, but you gotta remember God's too wise to make a mistake. And he's too good to be cruel. He's too wise to make a mistake and he's too good to be cruel. Oh, it's dark. Some of you are in a dark place right now. Some of you have been in a dark place and you know this. And if you haven't, you're going to go through it. I'm sorry. How do you know that? Why would you say that, Pat? Because we live in a world that's broken by sin. That's why I can say that. That's a reality. You're gonna be in that dark place. And please remember, when you're there, it's always darkest before the dawn because sometimes you're gonna wanna give up. Four months ago, I didn't ever wanna preach again. I didn't wanna do this. Dark. I didn't wanna do this. I wanted to give up. And I know some of you do right now. You will. Won't be the last time I do either. We must remember, it's always darkest before the dawn. God is too wise to make a mistake. And he's too good to be cruel. He hasn't turned his back on you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows where you are. And he is taking everything in your life. And he's working them in ways that you can never see or even understand to bring about his glory and your good. He's in control of them. He's in control of them, and it's always darkest before the dawn.